0: Hello, hello, this is Jonathan, and you're listening to the Johnny Talks podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. In today's episode we will speak to my friend Sunita from Griffix Property Group. We met last year at FinCon and it quickly appeared that she's passionate about real estate. She started to build her real estate portfolio only 2 years ago and now owns 4 properties all while being active in her full time job. Suni will share why she entered the real estate market in the first place, how as a landlord she's dealing with the Covid-19 situation and how she got creative and managed to finance those properties. She also converted a long-term rental unit into an Airbnb, and this is what we discuss in the second part of the show, how you can turn that long-term rental into a profitable Airbnb venture. This episode is for you if you are hesitant to enter the real estate market as an investor, and as well if you are keen to run a successful Airbnb investment. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Hello Sunita, how are you doing today?
1: I'm well, thanks. How are you?
0: Yes, I'm good. Very good. Uh, Glad to speak to you. So I'm calling you live to uh, Indianapolis. Is that correct?
1: (laughs) Yes, that is correct.
0: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, yes, Sunita, we've met at FinCon last year. It's already uh, quite some months ago. Uh, It's like seven, eight months. And uh, yeah, one of the first things that came out uh when we were at the bar was that you uh yeah, but that's where we met, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's where the best networking happens. It's midnight at a bar over some bourbon.
0: And and exactly. And here we are talking on the podcast. <laughs> and one of the first things that came out of the conversation is that you are passionate about real estate and you started your own kind of empire, let's say. <laughs>
1: That's very kind.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how, how I understood it, at least. So maybe you can clarify yourself if I uh, have misunderstood due to the bourbon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about uh, yeah your um, real estate ventures, um, Sunita?
1: Sure. Yeah, so I started investing in real estate about two years ago. Um, I got into real estate because I had grown disillusioned with, um, the needs of corporate America. Um, I still have a corporate job. I work in finance, but it's very demanding. And, Mm -hmm. and while there are definitely, um, pros to, to taking that path, I definitely wanted a future where I, I could better influence my financial needs and my, um, kind of loosen the constraints of what I could do based on time and finances, which my, my corporate job basically controlled, um, so I started to lo- start looking into other ways to kind of take my finances um, to the next level. And I looked into a lot of things. <laughs> I looked into like travel hacking. I looked obviously into stocks, index funds. I was already investing in those through like my 401k and my Roth IRA and stuff. And everything seems good. I did a bunch of those things. I still do. I still invest heavily in, in stocks. I still um, travel hack. When I traveled, but um I really wanted something where I could better control and have as much diversity as possible, and mm-hmm. that's when I found real estate and so like i really I really liked real estate because I could control kind of which houses I bought. you know, if I bought into an index fund, I have no control over which companies um, will be invested in. you know, I uh, like the fact that if I could front load a lot of the work, then I'd basically be paid in perpetuity for the rest of my life like I get a monthly paycheck you know with having to do very little work once once the unit is set up which is a little bit harder harder to find in the stock market you know like i could probably take out withdrawals as i get older and and figure out ways to do that but right now everything um every month i get a check that i can easily reinvest so i really liked i really like that and then i also liked the ultimate diversification piece of it you know like i I could choose how diversified I want it wanted to be, whether it was in a small house, a big apartment building, based on geography, based on income class, based on asset class. I just felt like that was, with, with all of the different ways I could hedge against risk, that was really the best path for me. So that was why I chose real estate.
0: Okay, that's very good. So you, you like the tangible aspect, unlike, mm-hmm. for example, um, and I think that's uh, one argument that many people have, uh, instead, when it's compared to uh, stocks, because stocks, I like it as well. It's uh, It also gives the revenue, but you need to dig more into the details and you might need to enter into financial reports, etc. And then really understand yeah. the business. And it's all different businesses. I mean, if you invest in 10 companies, ideally, you should have done your research for those 10 companies, which might have totally different business models while you yeah. che- you say i mean if i understand correctly you say look i'm going to invest in a few properties of such a type it's uh, not that it's simpler it's just different but at least you have a feel that it will be yeah better for you and that you will uh, be able to profit from it as well and i understand then that you you mentioned the uh, recurring uh, revenues so you're okay. look you're looking at um, buying rental properties not fixing and flipping and or other uh, strategies
1: correct so i i buy they're usually distressed because Mm -hmm. when i entered into this um we were not in a market where i could get good deals that would cash flow unless the properties weren't in great shape so i buy them distressed i fix them up and then i get long-term mostly long-term tenants and i do have one short-term rental which i think we will touch on later but yeah, I'm all about the aspect of getting that recurring semi-passive income, especially since I have a full-time job still, you know, fixing and flipping, that you only make money as long as you're active. And there's a limit to how much I can be active with the full-time job. Yeah, And there's also the fact that I started two years ago when people were already talking about a potential recession. We didn't know when that would happen or when that would hit. And being a new investor, I didn't want to be sitting there holding the bag if if say something like coronavirus actually ended up happening a year ago you know i just felt like that was a risky risky maneuver for someone like me so i have just focused on buying and holding real estate for long term mm-hmm. appreciation and as well as the cash flow
0: okay that's very good and then i have a question because i could think that yeah you know with this coronavirus okay the stock markets we all follow the news or we all have seen some uh, headlines but mm-hmm. for a real estate investor I, I had a question really for myself because i'm thinking yeah well okay so the real estate yeah people need a, a roof so they will rent a, a place but i mean if they lose their job or if they become unemployed i mean how does it work then i mean uh, i don't know if you are, are having issues right now with that or if you you thought that about it
1: no <laughs> Oh, I have thought about it. I think that's all. I think that's like the main thing that has dominated the thoughts of many landlords in this last month Mm -hmm. and a half or so. Um, It was definitely a big cause for concern, especially when like April 1st came around because um, people had been quarantined for several weeks by then, depending on where you were in the US. And we had no idea if people could pay or not or what would be happening. So the first month came and went, and thankfully they could pay. um, And that was a massive relief um, because there are a lot of discussions going around about whether landlords should forfeit rents for the month and stuff. And while that, that would be certainly um, something I would love to do to help others in need. At the same time, I'm, I have a brand new business basically and mortgages and property taxes and insurance to pay for, which, which is a lot. I have five properties, I have seven doors. So across seven, seven different homes essentially that that can be pretty expensive so it definitely was worrisome if um it would have been worrisome if multiple people couldn't pay but between the job and my reserves it's really really important to have adequate reserves so that when times like these hit if a couple people can't pay you can still pay your bills and keep the property you know um, because you don't want to lose the property which is essentially your business um, because other people can't pay ultimately that responsibility is yours So in the situation that I'm in right now, I mean, of course it could happen. Like I could have a lot of things go wrong at once and I could be in a position where I'd lose my properties, but a lot would have to go wrong. I'd have to lose my job. I'd have to have multiple tenants not pay for a couple months like this, that and the other. So for now, like I think I'm in an okay position. But I don't know, you know, time will tell. It's definitely, it's definitely hard time, but people do need housing. And then in terms of like them being able to pay or not pay, if you have like a good tenant, it's really worth kind of like working together and pulling together like a payment plan potentially, um, depending on their situation, you know, like in Indianapolis, like evictions have been halted. Like you can't evict a tenant for not paying, which makes sense because a lot of people don't have jobs right now, you know? So like that, that totally makes sense. But, um, they're just there, there can be those conversations to keep that tenant in place. Help work, help them work out the situation so that it can be a win-win
0: outcome. Mm-hmm. No, very good. I hope for the best. And here, at least in Luxembourg, if that can reassure you, the government announced measures to go out of the lockdown. For example, now from uh, this weekend, or uh, early oh, wow. next week that's good well, hold on it's it's only the it's only the some shops like the flower shops you can go to flower shops and you can go to the do-it-yourself shop you know where you buy your hammers and wood uh, yeah, like,
1: yeah like what we have is home depot where yeah, you buy home depot, all the stuff yeah,
0: for exactly. your house. yeah so those shops can start to open and then little by little there is a plan every two weeks and then i think in a few weeks the the schools will start to reopen i mean Oh, wow it's been announced two days ago so we will see how, how that plans out and we will see at the time of the airing in the show uh, yeah where we are but at least there, <laughs> yeah. there's already talks about uh, yeah going out of the lockdown so it's it's a pain this situation is a pain for a lot of people with health etc but yeah the light uh, at the end of the tunnel is in sight and maybe it will be a bit uh, delayed in the US so Let's cross our fingers that it won't take that long, but okay. We will all have to participate or uh, help each other and out. do
1: our part. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Be responsible. Be They're responsible. responsible. Exactly. What's happening. Yes.
0: Correct. And then the uh, I have a question because you, um, started, uh, investing in real estate and to me, real estate, I like it. I, I own a, pro- a rental property myself and, um, I also had the garages before, and I've also investigated a lot. You need to do your research as well. We were talking about stocks, but real estate, you need to do a lot of research yourself. Oh, 100%. Yeah, exactly. 100%.
1: It's just a different kind of research.
0: It's a different kind of research, as you say. So my question to you is, uh, yeah, how did you get started? Where did you look for information? Who did you talk to? <laughs>
1: I talked to basically anyone who would talk to me. <laughs> um, I'm not even joking. Like, I would just send out emails. Like, there's like the bigger pockets forum. Um, I love bigger pockets. I credit them with like basically providing the platform where I could find and create my entire business. So every person was either directly or indirectly found on bigger pockets. It was amazing. So, I would talk to other people who had invested, who usually buying long distance because at the time i was still living in boston so boston's on the east coast of the u.s indianapolis is in the middle of the country so we're like a thousand miles apart and i couldn't really i initially thought maybe i'd buy in boston but boston is it's one of the biggest cities in in the country it's really expensive and like it would take me forever to like get a down payment together because houses are multifamilies or whatever like you can't get land for, like, less than half a million. Like, it's just really, really expensive. And Mm -hmm. so um, I did a bunch of research on different cities in America, like, how their economic growth was, how, like, their job growth was, how income growth was, all these different things. And then eventually ended up on Indianapolis. And then, like, once I chose the area, there's also, like, there's so many different ways to invest, right? Like Like you said, you can fix and flip. You can do a long-term rental. You can do a short-term rental. You can invest in notes. There's just, there's a million ways to do it. So it's also figuring out, like, for me, it was about building a new life um, and a life that was free of those financial constraints of time and money that um, was kind of like boxing me in at my corporate job. So I really spent some time trying to figure out what I wanted that life to look like. And I wanted like that reoccurring income. I wanted to build that base so that I could... Kind of have my time free, which is why I chose long-term rentals to start off with. And so, um, after choosing like the niche and understanding everything that I needed to learn about that niche, like once you cho- once I chose long-term investing, then it's like, okay, does that mean like office space? Does that mean homes? Does that mean storage? Like, what what does that mean? You know, and trying to understand which pieces. And nuances of each strategy fit best with the life that I was trying to build in my personal capacity. So that ended up being residential homes. And then also even going down deeper, like every time it's like investing is like, it's like an onion when you're trying to learn, like you peel off one layer and there's going to be another. And it's like your responsibility to keep peeling those off until you get to the center and you figure out like, and it's, I mean, it's never, that onion's never done peeling, but (laughs) like, it's really important to, to keep digging deeper so that you fully understand what you're getting yourself into. Right. So like, Mm I chose, I chose Indianapolis. I chose long-term rentals. I uh, chose homes in terms of long-term rentals. Then it's like, okay, what kind of homes? Am I buying single families? Am I buying like a hundred unit apartment complexes? Like what are the nuances there? What does that require? What can I actually succeed at? That sort of thing. So, um, after all of that, I decided to start off with like smaller residential. So anything under four units, um, at the, four units per property and at this point my portfolio is made up of single families and and duplexes kind of duplexes but two units on a property so those that that was kind of how I got there
0: Mm -hmm. okay very good and one great thing with bigger pockets I mean I've listened to them as well I went on their website I'm in their forum (laughs) and uh, one surprise it's great and even as a European It's fantastic because, and I told that to Mindy Jensen at uh, FinCon as well, is that I managed to connect with people in Norway, people in Spain, people in Belgium. That's amazing. Yes. And then she was surprised herself because when I was in Norway, I managed uh, to connect with a few guys, uh, Norwegian real estate investors. And we talked about deals and stuff like this. And I managed to to find a guy, uh, actually, it's a Spanish guy living in Luxembourg. And we talked about stuff as well so you can manage and uh, people reached out uh, to me from belgium so even though cool. okay the website is american and of course the shows the podcast episodes etc it's uh, from an american perspective and the financing option may not apply here of course it's different but at least you can connect with local people through the forums totally. so, so it's a great 100%. place to be and uh, and yeah, if people really want to, to uh, get more um, inspired or connect with people thinking about real estate and they don't know uh, local people, at least they can start with, with the forum. So it's free to register and uh, you can connect easily. So that's a great tip. And then once you were in uh, Indianapolis, Sunni, you were you then uh, contacting real estate agents or, uh, I don't know, uh, friends or uh, connections? I mean, uh, did you meet people to, to get to know the market as well?
1: Um a little bit a little bit but not that much Um, so I was I invested I was investing in Indianapolis before I lived in Indianapolis so I networked within bigger pockets to find like the areas that would be good I would be reading what everybody was saying and like taking it down and then doing my own research and comparing what I found to what I read and then I found a property manager through my networking and like talked to her about like my goals and my needs and try to understand like what she would recommend. I did the same thing with my agent, you know, and I just like, I hired good people and um, talked to them after doing my own research to kind of corroborate what I had seen and felt.
0: Yeah, okay. And then I have a question because you you mentioned you have several properties and um, I was just wondering, well, you have a corporate job. Sure, you can save mm-hmm. some money here and there. And how do you manage to afford to buy three, four, five properties?
1: um, uh, By saving, like every penny, <laughs> first off. So at the beginning, the first property I purchased conventionally, which means I went through a bank and in the US you have to put down like 20 to 25%.
0: That's already a lot, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It is a lot, but I'd been saving for a couple of years at that point, so I like, I yeah, I put that down, then I paid cash to do the rehabs and repairs and then got renters in and then my, so then I had like one property, two doors. Um, and then the next set of properties I got, they were in kind of like, um, like a package deal. So there was an investor selling two in the same area where I bought my first one. And, um, there were actually three doors, a duplex and a single family, and I could only afford to buy one. And even that was stretching it. So Mm -hmm. the seller agreed to finance the other one. So essentially I, went through the bank, put another 25% down on the larger property. And then when we closed, they, the bank gave him the money for the property, the full dollar value. And then that basically acted as my down payment, like the collateral that I had So in his eyes. And so then for the other, the fifth door, the third property, we had a contract where basically he would be the bank. So we agreed upon an interest rate and um, I sent him a check every month for that property. And then six to seven months later, I went to the bank and refinanced the property and paid them off in full. So I got into that third property, the fifth door without any of my own money mm-hmm. at the outset. Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know if this, this kind of things are possible here in Europe. So it's basically, okay, the traditional way, then the seller's uh, financing. Mm -hmm. And then the third, it's kind of, uh, yeah, the guy plays, I mean, the seller plays the bank and then you refinance. Yeah. And these techniques you learned basically through reading and through following uh, bigger pockets, actually.
1: Yeah, and talking Mm -hmm. to other people. And then I also got the next unit that I got um, was when I moved to Indianapolis. So in the US, if you live in a house, you can put down less money. So instead of putting down 25%, I put down 7% got into the house, I have a roommate who helps pay the mortgage. So my living expenses are actually very low. And then my last property, my seventh door, I have an investor now um, because I've done this multiple times. Like I know the market, I have the network for like the rehab and this, that and the other. So I was able to find someone who would want to invest with me and he provided the cash for the property and I'm paying him an interest rate for that. And I will refinance him I will refinance the property and exit him in six months.
0: That's excellent because, and that, yeah, that, that that's the power which we you don't have with stocks. I mean, I like stocks. I I have, uh, I'm invested in stock markets. But yeah, with real estate, I mean, you can have all this uh, leveraging op- leveraging opportunities. And uh, for example, in my case, this is how I managed to build a bit of wealth is to when I had uh, my first apartment. It, it grew up in value and I used the home equity line of credit. Some, I think that's the yep. equivalent in the U.S. So basically taking my own apartment as a security to buy other properties. I mean, it was then it was uh, just parking spots, but I was renting them out. So I was making money on my money. So so that that's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did the same thing in the house that I'm in. I got a HELOC and that paid for the rehab on that property that I bought with the investor. So I basically did. I mean, I have to pay the bank back, but. I used every, I used a bunch of other people's money to buy that. And now I have renters moving in in two weeks. So I'll use that money to pay off the loans, refinance out and be good to go. Hopefully.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. And I think all these techniques, so yeah, if, if people are interested, I think a great place, as we said, bigger pockets start there, look for information, look for people in your country, in your neighborhood, who knows. And, um, Sweeney, I mean, just to make it a bit broader, because otherwise it it goes into the technical part. You right. also mentioned to me uh, before this episode that there's one of the units that you uh, converted from a, a regular rental unit long-term. to a mm-hmm. yeah to a long term uh, rental unit to a to an Airbnb actually.
1: Yeah, um, so this happened last October, actually, like right after FinCon. I had so my first the first property I purchased there was like a two bedroom one bathroom main house and then there was like a detached studio apartment basically we call it a carriage house I don't know if that applies in Europe but um it was like completely detached from um the main house and it was like it had its own bedroom bathroom kitchen it was all very small but it was an entirely functional living space of its own Mm -hmm. so because it was small and because it's older and it's uh, like less functional, it's harder to get a long-term tenant in. I did get a long-term tenant. I could only charge 500 bucks a month and then they left after a year. So if you look at like the long-term business model where you lose money is vacancy and turnover. And I just didn't think that like with the size of the unit, et cetera, I didn't think that my success rate would be super high if people would be leaving every year, which is Mm -hmm. likely. I mean, like, people the kinds of people who tend to maybe not leave as much are like the families because it's much harder when you have kids etc to like yeah. pick up and move but if it's like just one person with a bed and a couch like you can move on to the next spot and try something new you know um so and that's kind of like what this place like kind of the kind of renter it lended itself to so i was like i'm not gonna make a ton of money in this and the bar the bar is low honestly for like total profit. so turning it into a short-term rental there's a decent chance I can be profitable even even through times that aren't maybe great right so so I spent like two months like furnishing it getting it renovated again because it was just such a mess when I first got it it hadn't been used in like years you know, and so um fixing that up. And then it went live end of October. And so like my bar to clear was 450 a month after like my property management fees and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first I don't have the exact figures, but like, in q4 of 2019. So that was October, November, December, one month I grossed two thousand. one month I grossed one thousand, so we're at three thousand, and another month I grossed eight hundred. so we're at thirty eight hundred. whereas I typically only would have grossed fifteen hundred off of a long term rental. So across those months, even after like holding costs and stuff, so I'm probably I probably made about one and a half to two times as much money during the slow season as a new rental um, without the reviews, et cetera, And honestly, without really knowing what I was truly doing anyway, <laughs> cause I was just like, cause like I'd spent a long time researching long-term rentals and understood mm-hmm. like exactly what was involved. Short-term rentals is not as it is still real estate investing, but it's also hospitality. And like, I didn't have the knowledge, the hospitality knowledge at all, you know? So there was just like, I had to learn so much. Um, But even with that, that was very, that was profitable. Coming into 2020, it's been a little bit different, obviously. So like February, I had a major capital expenditure. I had a heater issue. So like I had to take it offline for the entire month of February, which that definitely hurt my wallet. And then I put it back on in March and started getting bookings just for coronavirus to come in. So, but, but the thing is like, I've actually been like incredibly lucky. I like a lot of Airbnb people are hurting. So, um, or I should say short-term rental people are hurting, but because this is not a shared space and it's like an entirely functional living space, person come in and not see another person for their entire stay. I was able to list it on VRBO as well. And that actually has been like a huge saving grace for me because early March, there was a woman who needed to come up to the area to visit family. And with everything going on, she wanted to be close to her family. So she rented out my unit for 300 for sorry, for three weeks. And I worked with her. Obviously, I definitely gave her like a really good deal. (laughs) Like if it was normal, like a normal environment, I definitely would have lost money, not lost money. I wouldn't have been as profitable if I had gone with that. But I kind of, I don't know, I wanted to help her out. She had some family stuff going on. And this was, I actually agreed to this late February because I knew it was still winter. We had no idea what's going to happen. I was like, let me just lock this in. And then two weeks after I locked it in, like all the coronavirus stuff came up and I was like, oh my gosh, thank God I have this renter coming in for three weeks. And then, so she came in, she's got me through like the first part of coronavirus. And then like the week she left, or like 3 days after she left I got another call from someone looking for the same thing a place to live while they spent time close to their family so I have another tenant moving in for 2 months um, she's actually moving in tomorrow so um, this is I also gave her a really good deal I essentially am making a little bit more than I would if it were a long term rental just maybe a smidgen though we're talking like 50 60 bucks more so I'm probably I'm probably netting like 560 a month which at this point is just great because yeah. we, are, we are literally in like a disaster environment where people can't travel people can't like people can go to their grocery store it's still only like essential movement you know a lot of people are working from home or not working at all the restaurants are shut down except for like delivery and like contact contact less like curbside pickup you know so like it's it's definitely like a difficult time and um my goal was to get through like the quarantine breaking even at best. So like my holding costs are like maybe 300 a month. So I was like, can I just make 300 a month just so that I'm not spending money to keep this running. Mm-hmm. So to have someone coming in to have a couple of long-term people who seem very nice, it has certainly been just like such a blessing. Um, also because like there's also the rest of the business to support and even though my tenants paid this month, I have no idea what's coming down the pike. So any cash that I can hold on to is what I'm going to need to do, you know? So I really didn't want to spend money to keep my Airbnb afloat. I mean, if it came down to that, I would. But thankfully, it looks like at this moment that I don't have to. So I'm very grateful for that.
0: Yeah, that, that's great. That's a blessing, as you say. And then I'm, I'm wondering, because you go from a long, long-term rental unit, to a short term rental unit, you say, I had a lot to learn. What are a few examples? Because when I think of Airbnb, what first things that come to mind is, oh, yeah, okay, so you need to clean up after every guest, you need to replace the towels, the the bed sheets, etc. Yeah, because as well, okay, you make more money, but it's a lot more time investment as well.
1: And I mean, I get very anxious, so (laughs) which doesn't help. But like, it's also the knowledge that any if you have one or two guests who just aren't happy for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they can totally sink your business with a bad review. And I actually had that in, like, December. Someone came in, and I'd had, like, half a dozen, like, five-star reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, one person came in and was like, this is the worst place I've ever seen, this, that, and the other. I don't know who all these other people are who stay here. Like, it just went on and on. She wrote me, like, the worst review. And I think – she might've given me a star one Mm, star. Yeah. And so that like really sunk my rating. And so I was actually getting emails from Airbnb saying, Hey, you're now in the 1% lowest listing of Airbnbs in the world. And so (laughs) things like that, like, like I, yeah, it was, it was rough, you know? Um, but like things I learned, so there is the operational aspect and learning how to set it up, communicate with everybody. It's also like, there's also a Big piece of managing expectations. So, like, my unit is pet friendly. I didn't explicitly say that in my listing because I didn't want everybody bringing their pets because it's like wear and tear. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted people who really wanted to stay and really needed to bring their pets to reach out to me. The downside of that is that if someone looks at your listing and they're allergic and they don't see your pet friendly, they're more likely to book. So, I had a, a cancellation from someone who was like, yeah, I didn't know your unit was pet friendly and I can't sleep here. And they had like a month long reservation. I canceled, you know? And so that like things like that, like how, how do you manage those expectations? And it's also, it's also smaller things. So like, it is a small unit. It's like 400 square feet split across two floors and people will come in and be like, this is really small. I was like, well, yeah, I said 400 square feet, but like I learned to put other words in, you know, like, very cozy like this that and the other so that i can frame their expectations that it is a small small space you know and then like just different things that they might have not expected that might detract from their experience you know i try i try to keep saying that like bringing attention to that so that they know what's going on like there's a set of stairs right and it is a little bit on the steeper side so when someone's like hey i'm coming into town i have kids and i'm like are you sure like you want to stay here how old are your children like the stairs are a little bit steeper I want to make sure that you're aware and you're okay with that you know and they're like okay no my kids are like 10 and I'm like okay it's fine but I don't want a two-year-old around I don't have a baby gate like I don't want there there are other aspects that I want to kind of mitigate so it's really trying to like set up your listing for success before the guest ever steps in you know and I always try to keep a like open communication and when I send them like welcome message like make sure I say you know hey If there is any reason you're not having a five star stay, let me know as soon as you can so that I can change your mind, meet your expectations and make sure that you do have a five star stay. Because at the end of the day, I need those five star ratings to keep this business going, you know. And um, so like that's another thing that I learned, like learning just learning how to manage the communication and the expectations and then. The other kind of drawback that I felt like I had at the beginning was, you know, um, when you, for those who have stayed at Airbnbs, like with the host there, sometimes being the host is like the best part of it. You know, you build these relationships, you build these bonds with these people and like you learn so much from them. It's, it's a really amazing experience. And if you meet a host and, and you get along with them really well and maybe the Airbnb isn't perfect or there are like a few things that are a little off you're less likely to like discount them because you know that they're trying and they're Mm -hmm. good people. Right. So you've built that emotional connection. You've built that relationship when I am not, I live an hour away from my unit there and I have a full, again, full-time job, like there's no way I can get out to the unit to meet a lot of the guests, to meet the majority of the guests, you know, Mm -hmm. I have like, um, they, they're allowed to check themselves in and stuff. And so I needed to find a way to build that relationship. Like over the phone, over email, which at first was hard. Like at first, I was definitely more real estate investor transactional. Hey, how are you? Friendly, but like direct and to the point. <laughs> 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 you know, and I mean, I think you've had enough conversations with me <laughs> to know that that is my personality. It's, but it can, it can, uh, with that with that approach, you you don't get to know the person, you know. And so, like since then, I've really worked on being more friendly. Like what if my best friend who I didn't talk to in two months messaged me and said, Hey, how would I respond? Like, and using that energy to respond to the guests so that they feel like warm and welcomed right away. And then try to get to know them. Like I'll share like little tidbits of like some, something that's a little bit personal, like, but not like really personal to show that like I'm a human and then they usually kind of come back with something and then you have something to, like work with as you get them ready to check in and stuff, you can build that connection. And I've actually had several guests um, like who I found out, like they're from the area where I travel to a lot because that's where my company's headquarters are, you know? And so like we have like this connection, we talk like, and that's, that has saved me like when some things have gone wrong, I'll tell you
0: what
1: i talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. So, um, like just, yeah, working on building those relationships has been really, really key for me as well.
0: Oh, that's cool. It's, you know, I have all images of trip advisors going to hotels in my head now, you know, but, but it's really like it's, it's hospitality.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so has your, um, uh, approach changed if you've been to hotels since then, Uh, when you go to a hotel do you pay attention to other stuff to new stuff now you you...
1: yeah i do because i kind of well more so when i'm at other airbnbs i pay more attention i'm like what are they doing that is making me feel more comfortable right Mm -hmm. so like like before when I first started Airbnb, like I had like a coffee pot. I had like a big like thing of like economy size coffee beans and I had like some creamer and original packaging. Like I just, and I was like, okay, it's great. Again, like that transactional mindset, you know, like they have what they need for coffee. They're fine. But if you want to elevate it, like <laughs> I then was like, okay, that's great. But don't, you, when you go into an Airbnb and if you like your coffee, would you rather see like something from Costco or like Walmart or like Target or whatever the thing, or do you want to see like a cute little setup, you know? Um, it sounds stupid saying that, but like, <laughs> it really does help, you know? And so like, I got like these little like bamboo top jars, which are actually like probably five bucks in all. And like these little labels that I could stick on them and like hand wrote notes, you know, on, on the labels. I got a little letter letterboard on, on the front door and it says like, welcome to the cozy carriage house. So happy to have you. Like just like these little things that like, make the place feel more comfortable and more like home and like a slight elevation, like little boxes for like the extra toilet paper, little bins, like these woven bins that were not expensive. um, Because I went like the day after Christmas when everything was on sale and got like little things to decorate the apartment and keep things like organized and just looking nice for the guests while also allowing me to give them what they needed. You know, Mm -hmm. So it's just like those little tiny touches can really make a place feel like more fancy when it really costs like five bucks. I think those little things are really important.
0: Yeah, but that's great. It's, um, it's funny because I agree with all you say and I, and I can imagine it. I'm not doing it myself, but then, you know, when I think of long-term rental is you buy the stuff, you do a lot of work up front. And then you're done. And then you're done. And then you collect your paychecks and, and okay, you look for a new tenant now and then. But okay, then, but then the the your return on investment is lower as well. It's a lot of work. It, sounds it depends like a lot of on if you do it well. You, yeah. It
1: depends on it. Nothing's guaranteed, right? Like it, it, there's, higher, there's higher risk, but higher potential reward in short-term rentals. But it's also more volatile and more seasonal. So it, it just, it really depends because like in the winter and stuff, like it, you can not have anybody travel. So it just depends on whether you can build that business model and, and provide an offering that people want.
0: Mm-hmm. And did you find information uh, on how to be a, to run a successful Airbnb as well on bigger pockets forums or did you find your your some ideas? Some on bigger somewhere pockets,
1: else? yeah, some on bigger pockets. I had some friends who were um, big in Airbnb, so thank God for that, because they they were the ones who were there for me when I got like that two star review and I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> like having having a, a good support system and a good network of investors is like everything. And then also like podcasts, there are a lot of podcasts that are geared specifically towards Airbnb, and those have been helpful, like just getting like one or two tidbits per podcast has been really, really good. So have been doing that. It's just, yeah, there's so many, there's so many ways to learn. It's just kind of putting your head down and getting through it.
0: Okay, very good. And then looking forward to the future, uh, SUNY, you own this properties, you own your uh, Airbnb rental. Where, what what's in store for you? Okay, the, the, the virus crisis, um, it, it's a pain, but okay. Aside from that, what are the, the future plans? Uh, plans in three, five, 10 years?
1: Um, I'm going to continue to grow my business. So I'm definitely, I definitely want to buy like at least one more place by the end of this year. Um, I'm probably going to like utilize like the US lending system of not having to put too much down uh, in terms of a down payment to, for another house to live in. So I'm probably going to move in the summer and then I'm going to save up my cash and try to find properties that I can get into with my investors that are still good deals because I think they their properties will be more and more discounted with the way things are looking, um, as time goes on, but that's not a reason to not buy if the numbers are right. So I'll still be like trying to grow this business. Um, my eventual goal, I have a net income goal that I am shooting for, um, and once I hit that, I hope to hit that by 2026 or so, um, then I would like to transition out of my corporate job. Mm-hmm. Potentially, I'm still evaluating that, but I would really, I think I would really like to focus on real estate more and like do some nonprofit work and then like travel and just live a more balanced life than I'm living right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it sounds like a lot of work now. And any more Airbnb ventures or will you, you will stick to that one and uh, that's it?
1: Yeah, for now, I'm just sticking to that one. um, Because it is a smaller unit. And because I still think if there is so, so that's, that's kind of what's hard, like with the COVID, like right now, we're in a disasters, like timeframe, you know, like, that's, Mm -hmm. that's the environment we're in, Um, when this kind of even when we start to transition out, there's still likely to be a downturn. So I'm waiting to see what that downturn looks like and how that impacts business. Um, I think with it being a small unit, I have more flexibility to drop my price to something that's affordable
0: yeah, true. Um,
1: and still be profitable. So I think I can still be, keep it profitable as a short-term rental and also like historically, like hotels, uh, the hotel industry does see a drop uh, during downturns, but it's only 25%. Um, so if I'm making one and a half to two, x uh, my net profit and i drop it 25 percent then it's still more profitable than a long-term rental which is always like my base point like i can always shift it back to a long term mm-hmm. if i have to but i'm hoping that i can still keep that keep that going i'm not ready to turn any of my bigger units into an airbnb not anytime soon i was told it takes like a year especially because airbnbs are more seasonal to under better to best understand the pricing Strategy and how how to kind of optimize your listing and the profits. Um, but I've been in this only a few months, and now I'm not only trying to understand the seasonality, but like there's this big wrench of like a virus and a downturn and everything else. So it's gonna definitely gonna take me a little bit more yeah. time to figure out how to optimize my unit. So I would like to best understand that before I take on something else.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand. And um, for the listeners who are interested in entering the wonderful world of real estate investing, would you have any like startup tips, two or three tips for them to how to get started?
1: I think the biggest thing is just to like educate yourself and to keep peeling back those layers of that onion. because people stop too early. They don't fully understand what's going on. And especially in these times when, when there's a lot of change, you know, it's before people could, it was like, just like riding the upward wave, like being successful as a real estate investor was like, I heard someone say, it's like hitting water when you fall out of a boat, (laughs) because like, it was just, it was just like, everything just kept going up. So it was hard to go wrong, but now there's a lot more ways to go wrong. You know, so I think just being very careful and knowing what you're getting into, um, and how you're going to support that through like worst case scenarios, is is like my biggest my biggest tip.
0: Mm-hmm. No, very good, uh, Suni. I I really like it, and uh, thanks for sharing your uh, story and your real estate ventures with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we close the show, we always have our three quick fire questions. I ask every guest. Love so uh, my number one question to you is what has been your best investment so far, Sini? Mm,
1: I still think it's that I still think it's going to be that first uh, yeah. purchase that I bought with with the one that I turned into an Airbnb. Times are a little bit tougher right now, but in terms of um, how much it's appreciated and the net cash flow versus how much I owe, it's done pretty well. So like I purchased it April we're in 2020, April of 2018. And last year I went in to refinance it with the bank and they ran an appraisal on it and it, it had appraised 50%.
0: Oh wow, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. amazing.
1: So between the appraisal as well as the fact that it's even when it, even when both units are, sh- are long-term rentals, like it's very profitable. Like I think that will probably be my best.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. And then my second quick fire question, what is the best book you have read or you would recommend to anybody and it does not need to be financial or about real estate?
1: So one of the best books that was sent to me this year was, um, so like Harvard, the uh, university out in Boston. They, Uh, the, the business, the business school puts out like these cases and these books on Mm -hmm. like different subjects. So I had one sent to me earlier this year that was on emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think like emotional intelligence is hugely important, not only for your personal life, but also if you're trying to build a business and trying to lead others and you're working with a lot of other people, it's, it's really imperative to success, to be able to like self-regulate, to be able to show empathy to be able to understand where other people are coming from emotionally because at the end of the day we don't we would all like to think that we're rational logical human beings but we're really like emotion driven you know <laughs> so um i think like that was a really good find and then there's also i just started reading black swan by uh, Nassim Taleb Taleb i i always mispronounce it but like i really love that book it's like about thinking, about risk, about how people make decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And I really, I think, I think that is, um, there's, there are a lot of good takeaways in that book as well.
0: Yeah. This book, I received it from a friend a few years ago. I still have it. I haven't opened it yet. You should
1: read it.
0: And and first when he gave it to me, I thought it was about the movie with the
1: the (laughs) Mathieu
0: Kassovitz and the ballerinas, but apparently not. So, uh,
1: (laughs) yeah, no, no, it's, it's a really good book. Like a lot of like my friends who are some of the smartest people I know and the most successful people I know in like the finance industry have all recommended this book and like his work in general. And now I see why. So I would highly, highly recommend.
0: Okay. Very good. And uh, just about the the business case you mentioned. So is it a business case we can download from the, from their website? Uh, no,
1: that's actually a book. So a they book. do have cases, but they also have books. And mm. so like, um, yeah, this is this is a book that you can buy. It's just called Emotional Intelligence by the Harvard Business Review, I think. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'll I'll find it out and I'll link it in the show notes. And okay, then Sunita, the last question: What is the best purchase you've made for under a hundred dollars?
1: I'm glad you gave me advance notice on this one. Um, <laughs> so my best pur- my best purchase was actually free. There was a cost to it, so I got.
0: It's not free, but email. there's a cost.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, it's not always monetary. So I got like this email from Google. I think something having to do with like my my G Suite account and like my Spotify account, something anyway. They sent me a free speaker and all I had to do was give them access to my Spotify playlist. So now they have like all the data with all the music that I listen to and probably all the data since it's related to Google. They have like all, everything about me anyway. Um, so (laughs) that was actually the best purchase because like, I'll play it when I'm like listening to a podcast, I'll play it when I'm like listening to music and cleaning and doing whatever. Like I use that thing all the time. I love my speakers. So I, I mean, the the quality is not great because it was, it was free essentially, (laughs) but it's, it's good for someone who's frugal, who likes to have like that sound around. So, um, that was the best purchase that I made.
0: (laughs) Very good. And you know, every year now when you're on Spotify, then you get your statistics, the music you listen the most to. So whatever, if it's free or not, uh, I mean, your data is anyway, uh, anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Everywhere. Yeah. And
1: you know, what's actually really crazy was like a month or so. So I've never, my parents are Indian. I've never listened to like, Bollywood music or anything like that but I started getting all these recommendations on Spotify <laughs> for like Bollywood music and only now is it making sense why that was happening
0: yeah,
1: yeah. as I'm telling you the story I'm like oh my gosh because I was sitting to look at my Spotify plays going how how did they know this like I don't I don't understand what is happening but now I know
0: <laughs> Excellent, very good, very good. And uh, Sunny, uh, it's really funny. And uh, Sunny, uh, where can people uh, find out more about you or about your real estate ventures? Are you online or on social media? Or uh-
1: yes, so I'm on Instagram and I have a website. My Instagram is Griffix Property Group. That's the name of my company. It is spelled G R I F F I X Property Group, and then uh, my website is the same. It's GriffixPropertyGroup.com.
0: Okay, very cool. I'll uh, link it uh, in the show notes and people can find you just click and that's it. So Sunny, thanks again. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your stories and your tips on real estate, on investing in real estate. I think it was very helpful and I think you'll get a lot of comments uh, on on your Instagram. I
1: need those followers.
0: Yeah, so yeah. So I can
1: become an influencer. Yeah, become a real estate influencer
0: money. and uh, beat uh, bigger pockets. Uh, yeah. No, that's, that's hard, but hey, who knows? Anyway, so thanks again, and um, I'll speak to you soon, uh, Suni. Sounds
1: good. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it was great to reconnect with my friend Suni and talking after so long. So I hope that you enjoyed the conversation as well and that you learned something from it. And before we head off, here are the key takeaways for today. Number one, real estate investing by buying and holding properties is a great way to front load the work get semi-passive income and appreciation in perpetuity if done well and notice the word semi-passive income because nothing is truly passive i mean you need to do a lot of work up front and as well you need to you will need to maintain your property replace find new tenants etc so i like that she used the word semi-passive next the power of real estate investing lies in leveraging all the creative financing opportunities By using little money or even other people's money, for example, the seller financing uh, option that she talked about, you can achieve larger returns on your investments. Yeah, you'll need to see what is possible in your country. We discussed some um, opportunities in the US. And for example, for myself, I managed to tap into the equity of my apartment in Norway. So it is possible abroad. You just need to see what's possible locally. The next point is about bigger pockets, which is a great resource. And it's a great resource uh, not only for US investors, it is also great inspiration and a great network opportunity if you live outside of the US. And moving on now to the to the Airbnb. If you choose to run an Airbnb, well you already know about the extra work involved. I mean the towels, the bed sheets that you need to replace. But in addition, you'll need to switch your approach to I am a hospitality professional rather than a transactional and emotionless investor. <laughs> Yeah, the Airbnb offers a higher return on investment than a long-term rental, but it will require more work, as I said. It is more volatile and seasonal. So, higher risk, higher reward, as they say, right? And I'll just conclude with a tip of SUNY. For those just getting started, well, do your own research. Find out what is right for you by peeling the layers of that real estate onion.